To every nation, tribe, and tongue Your church proclaims May the peoples praise you Let the nations be glad All your blessing comes that we may praise May praise the name of All your blessing comes that we may praise, may praise the name of Jesus. May the peoples praise you, let the nations be glad. All your blessing comes that we may praise, may praise the name of Jesus. message is simple. It is simple. What can wash away our sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For our pardon. My pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. No precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. All our hope and peace in Him. And this is all our hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of but the blood of Jesus.
this morning our scripture reading and prayer will come out of just one verse. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. If you can see it on the screens, I want to invite you to do something a little unusual. As I read this, even there as you are watching, join with me. And let's read the scripture aloud together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want to ask if you will to bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the great supplier. We praise you that you are faithful in doing so. We thank you this morning that you have not left us like orphans to fend for ourselves. But you are gracious. And you have supplied everything that we need and even more. Father, forgive us for not realizing that you are the great provider. Forgive us, Father, when we take on that heavy burden of think that we have to muster up the energy, that we have to operate in our own strength. Forgive us for the foolishness of thinking that we can accomplish things for eternity in earthly power. Forgive us, Father, of this folly. And direct our hearts towards you, Lord. Help us to learn the glorious freedom of depending upon you. Help us to realize the, the precious liberty that we have in knowing that through you, all things can be accomplished. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. For he is the power at work within us to accomplish the spread of the gospel. And Lord, we pray this morning that that will be done. Father, we are so grateful that you are at work through us. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a vision for sharing the gospel. We pray especially this morning for the missionaries in North America. Those whom you have called and through whom serve in the North American Mission Board seeking to spread the gospel throughout the North American continent. Father, we pray for those that are planting churches you have called many of them to labor in places that are difficult, where there is no gospel presence. And Father, for that missionary this morning that is feeling alone, and as they are trying to figure out how to minister in the pandemic, grant them an extra measure of grace this morning. Renew their hope, Father. Renew their passion for you. Make their ministry fruitful. For those that are planting churches in the inner city where many may be hardened to the gospel, Father, I pray that the word that is proclaimed will find, find soil that is ready to receive it. I pray for those that are planting churches in rural America. I pray, Father, that you would give them wisdom and insight as to how they can best minister to the needs. And Father, I pray that you would help us at Trinity to be about, that, be about your business also. That we will seek how we can spread the gospel here. So, Father, give us a passion for this. And, Father, I pray that your name will be honored as we proclaim your excellencies. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, today we are beginning our emphasis on the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. We will be emphasizing this offering throughout the remainder of April and maybe a little bit into May this offering supports the work of missionaries throughout North America. And our church goal is to raise $10,000 above our normal giving that will go to support these mission efforts. And so we're asking you to pray and to give. Now, this morning I wanted to show you a clip from Dr. Kevin Izell. Dr. Izell serves as the president of the North American Mission Board. And he has a word that he wants to share with us about the goal and, and why we are doing this. Now, hopefully this will be playing on your screens. This is a new technology we have updated to. If it doesn't work, the camera will simply pan to our screens here. So hopefully this will work as we hear a word from Dr. Kevin Izell. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about people who do some of the hardest, most important work on earth. They start churches in places where people tell them, we don't need church. They provide food and shelter for families who don't even have the basics of life. They share the gospel everywhere for everyone. They are North American missionaries. It's always been hard doing what they do, but it's not always been like this past year. 
When the world shut down, the easy thing for them would have been to wait, hold off, or to stop. But that didn't happen, and it never will. Because for your North American missionaries, the mission always moves forward. We're still sharing the gospel. We're still impacting lives. We're still here. We never stopped. Right now, your North American missionaries are adapting. They're innovating. They're coming up with new ways to take the gospel into places it's never been before. You can do that when you have tens of thousands of people like you who give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Ministry costs money, and so your giving enables us to continue to spread the good news of the gospel. You see, no matter what's happening around us, when the world says stop, God always says go. That's why we're seeing new churches planted. We're seeing needs met, and we're seeing believers baptized. It's what happens when God's people give, pray, and go. Thank you for praying for your missionaries because prayer is powerful. And thank you for giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. As you do that, you provide the fuel that moves the mission forward. There's so much work to be done. Now, more than ever. It's estimated that there are 275 million lost people in North America. And so, what happens next in this story is up to you. church. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be introducing our new song for the remainder of this month, and it is focusing, of, and intentionally so, specifically upon missions, and not just missions, but on the mission that all of us as the church are called to, to do, and that is to proclaim Christ as we go, and in some cases, to go wherever God sends to preach Christ and the gospel. It opens up, for the cause of Christ the King, who we give our lives an offering, till all the earth resounds with ceaseless praise to the Son. For the cause of Christ the King, we give our lives an offering Till all the earth resounds with ceaseless praise to the sun For the cause of Christ we go With joy to reap, with faith to sow As many see and many put their trust in the sun For the king once lifted high to cries of rage of crucified endured the cross as every sin was laid on the sun to the king who conquered death the poor and the oppressed for lasting peace for life and liberty in the sun oh christ we proclaim the name above every name for all creation every nation god's salvation the sun. Let it be my life's refrain to live is Christ, to die is gain, deny myself. 
Take up my cross and follow the sun. Sing it out now. Let it be my life's refrain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Deny myself, take up my cross and follow the sun. Oh, Christ, we proclaim the name above every name. For all creation, every nation, God's salvation through the sun. Oh, Christ, we proclaim the name above every name. For all creation, God's salvation, God's salvation through the grateful for Chris's leadership and our praise team that are willing to adjust and come in here this morning and lead us in worship. So I'm very thankful. I want to ask you to take your copy of God's Word. If you will, open it to the Gospel of John chapter 20. This morning, our verses that we'll focus on will be verses 19 through 23. As you're turning there, I wanted to give you an update on my daughter Emma. It's been two Sundays since I've done so, and I'm just overflowing with praise. She is continuing to do well. Uh, her yeses, when she nods yes or shakes her head no, are very clear and very quick. And so we are thankful that the Lord is restoring and healing. So as you have been praying, thank you. And we ask you to continue to pray for her healing and recovery. As we continue through the Gospel of John, last Sunday we saw where uh, the risen Lord appeared to Mary and how she was given the message to go back and tell the disciples. And now we see where Jesus appears to the disciples. And it's my prayer that as we read and study these few verses of this first appearance of Jesus to his disciples, that we will be reminded of what happens when Jesus shows up. That our hearts will be refreshed to know that that same Lord is at work. And that when Jesus is present, things happen. So I draw your attention to John 20, and I'll be reading verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Pray with me once again. Gracious Lord, your word is alive. It is creative. It is, is active. So Lord, we pray this morning that it will find willing hearts as we study it. Penetrate in the depths of our soul. And Father, rekindle within us a passion for you. That we will seek you and rely on the power you provide through your spirit. Grant this, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. The year was 1757. It was a hot July day when General Louis Montcalm began to lay siege to Fort William Henry. The French-Indian War between the English and the French had been going on for three years now. 
And Fort William Henry had been constructed by the English army to stand guard at the gateway of Lake George. Its goal was to protect the waterways. Now this lone fort was home to 2,300 British soldiers. But when the French came against it, they came against it with a superior force. The force of General Montcalm contained 3,000 French soldiers, 3,000 French militia, and 2,000 Native Americans. The English were outnumbered three to one. Even though things looked hopeless, Lieutenant Colonel George Monroe of the British Army held on to hope. He wasn't giving in to despair because as the French army began to arrive, he had sent dispatches to General Webb at Fort Edward. And those dispatches carried the request, under attack, send reinforcements. And Lieutenant Colonel Monroe was confident that General Webb would show up and the day would be saved. After holding off the French bombardment for days, messengers finally broke through. But the message they carried was not what Colonel Monroe expected. General Webb had sent a very short message. Seek the best surrender terms possible. No aid coming. No help is coming. Surrender. And in the end, that is exactly what happened. Can you imagine the hopelessness that that colonel felt on that day when he realized help was not coming? The cavalry would not arrive to save the day. No hero would come on a white horse. Hopelessness. Words fail to describe that moment that we have experienced in our lives. When despair begins to set in and hope begins to fade and we wonder how in the world can, can we do the task that is in front of us. I cannot help but wonder if that is how the disciples felt after the crucifixion. And even after reports of the resurrection began to, to filter in, if they still felt this sense of hopelessness and despair that what they had hoped in, that Jesus was the Messiah didn't look like to be the case. Even though Peter and the other disciple had reported the tomb was empty, even though Mary had said that she had seen and spoken with Jesus, even though Cleopas and his friend had returned, coming back from their journey to Emmaus with reports that Jesus appeared to them, look where the disciples are. They're behind locked doors in a room. And they're afraid. Their hopelessness has been fed by fear. Fear that they would be next. And so the question has to be circulating in their minds. If we could be next and if Jesus is alive, where is he? If we could be arrested and Jesus is alive, where is he? If we are fugitives that may be living on the run from the authorities and Jesus is alive, where is he? And then, then things, their situation surprisingly, gloriously changes when Jesus appears. And when Jesus appears, he brings to them the reminder and the truth, this truth. That Jesus brings in, he ushers in the new creation. Notice what we are reminded of in verse 19. On the evening of that day, now it's clear that that day is Sunday, first day of the week, when Jesus has, has res been resurrected. But notice, the author of the gospel wants to be very clear that this day is the first day of the week. So the question has to be asked, why is this being emphasized? It's not like we would forget that this is the first day of the week. We've already read that back in verse 1. I think the answer to that is, is revealed when we read a very odd statement in verse 22. When he had said this, referring to verse 21, he breathed on them. He exhaled on them. Now that's odd. 
After saying, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, what does Jesus do? He breathes on them. It's very unexpected. He would exhale upon them. But what helps us to understand what's going on here is that that word breathed is only used one time in the entire New Testament. That particular word, one time. And it is the same word that is used in what is called the Septuagint. Now the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So in other words, so the Greeks could read the Old Testament, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. So that helps us to understand many Hebrew words. Now the word that is used in verse 22, where it says, He breathed on them, only used one time in the New Testament, is the very same word, the very same Greek word, used to translate Genesis 2 verse 7. When it says, then the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that man became a living creature. Now let's combine two things. We have an emphasis on the first day of the week. Then we have an emphasis that what Jesus does in verse 22 is connected to God giving life to Adam, breathing life into him. And we begin to get this picture that the breathing of Jesus relates to receiving the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives life. In John chapter 6 verse 63, Jesus spoke these words. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The spirit gives life. So we have first day of the week, hearkening back to creation. We have Jesus breathing in connection with the Holy Spirit, pointing to the giving of life, which brings us to recognize that Jesus is bringing about new creation. This theme is woven throughout the Gospel of John. How does the Gospel of John begin in chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning was the word, in the beginning. Does that not harken back to Genesis 1, 1? In chapter 2, what happens? Jesus turns water into wine, a new creation. In chapter 3, he speaks of being what? Born again, new life. In chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well that he gives living water, referring to the Spirit. He gives water that gives life, new life. In John chapter 6, we are reminded of the words I just read to you. The Spirit gives life. In John chapter 7, Jesus speaks of rivers of living water, water that gives life. In chapter 8, Jesus says, I am what? The light of the world. What did God create on the first day? Let there be light. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. This is God the Father creates, Jesus creates. In John chapter 11, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is saying that I am bringing new life that God has promised. Just as he created, I am in tune with the Father and I am recreating. Paul emphasizes this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. A new beginning. In the game of golf, this is called a mulligan. You hit a bad shot, you have a mulligan. You can hit a new shot like the bad one never happened. In the world of computing, this is called a reboot. You turn off the computer and start from scratch. In Christianity, it is called grace. The grace of God brings about a new creation. We are born again, the past forgiven and forgotten, being made brand new in Jesus. What we experience now in being born again is a foretaste of what will also happen in the future when Jesus returns. The nature of his resurrected body indicates this change. As I pointed out last week and is emphasized again here in the Gospel of John, Jesus was not some phantom. He was not some ethereal spirit that you could put your hand through. Look what he does in verse 20. He showed them his hands and his side. It was real. That's why in the book of 1 John, 1 John begins by stating what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have tasted, what we have touched. We pass along to you. 
What we see here is a precursor of the resurrected body that every believer will have when Jesus returns. Now, I don't pretend to understand all the nuances of this, of how the body is physical, yet he is able to, to supersede the laws of physics in appearing behind locked doors. But what I can say is this. This body of flesh and blood will be replaced by one that is incorruptible. And we will know each other then. We will be identifiable and we will know each other and rejoice in each, with each other in the new heaven and the new earth. And we get a taste of what that will be like now in the peace that he gives. So as Jesus gives this new creation, look at what he says to the disciples twice. Verse 19, peace be with you. And then again, in the middle of their joy, in verse 21, what does Jesus say once again? Peace be with you. Two times. Now, it's very clear why Jesus needed to say this. They were afraid. And their fear, of course, was replaced with joy. But there still had to be this sense of, of awe, of uncertainty as to exactly what does this mean? That Jesus is alive and standing here. So Jesus says, peace. Now, the word peace is the equivalent of the Hebrew idea of shalom, well-being, tranquility. Not just the absence of conflict internally or externally, but the experience that all is at well. For some reason, when I think of this piece, my mind goes back to my freshman year of college when I went with some friends on a hike. It was actually New Year's Day, and we had decided to celebrate the new year by traveling up toward Knoxville and hiking up to Rocky Top. If you've ever wondered, there actually is a literal Rocky Top. So we went on this hike, and I remember it was cold. Back in the day, I was actually sporting a, a mustache, and there were icicles that were forming on it. But man, we were hiking, and it was arduous, and we got to Rocky Top. And it was amazing to me that Rocky Top really wasn't that rocky. There was actually this kind of this, this field there. And I remember that when we got to the top, the sun was out. And although it was cold, I was so exhausted. I laid there put my head back against my backpack, enjoying the warmth of the sun, and fell into one of the most peaceful sleeps I think I've ever had. Tranquility. The hard part was done. Journey over. All was well. Shalom. And Jesus speaks that to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. How many of us need to hear these words of Jesus speaking to us today? Peace be with you. The list of things that cause us anxiety is longer than I could read here. You could fill in the blank. I am anxious because. I am worried about this. If that describes the state of your soul this morning, hear the words of Jesus. Peace be with you. My peace, Jesus said, I leave with you. Not peace like the world gives, but a peace that is internal and deep, that is able to say, no matter the circumstances, it is well with my soul. And the beauty of this peace that Jesus speaks into our hearts, it's not just that it's about us and having peace of mind, but it extends to others. You see, this peace that Jesus speaks is within community. So that as we experience internal peace, that peace is also shared relationally with one another. As we follow Christ in community, and evidence of Jesus' presence is that peace will be among his people. Harmony. That idea of shalom not only carries with it the idea of tranquility, it is the idea of harmony. We're reminded that in Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus tore down the dividing wall that separates and made one 
people. I cannot think of a better message that we need to carry to a world around us that is divided by walls. To say Jesus tears down those walls to make one people. Harmony. I think of a symphony. Where you have a variety of of instruments that have gathered together, but they are on the same page playing together, following the conductor. 2012 research was conducted to answer this question. People had always wondered, how important is the conductor to a professional symphony? I mean, how important is the conductor to, say, the London Symphony or the, the Philadelphia Harmonic? How important is somebody standing up there? So they did this. They put infrared lights onto the end of, of all of these string instruments and an infrared light on the end of the conductor's baton to see who was following whom and how important the conductor was. And they found this out, that every time the musicians were following the conductor, they found out that the conductor was not only important, that conductor is crucial. They also found this out, that the more experienced the conductor, the more impact he would have on the ability of the symphony to play well and to be in harmony. The conductor makes all the difference. Now, if Jesus is our conductor, we will be following him. And that means that we will be on the same page, having harmony, working toward the same purpose. Notice that Jesus doesn't leave us wondering what we are to be about. To use the analogy of a symphony, if you are not as a symphony playing the same piece of music, it really, it's all for nothing. So Jesus puts his followers on the same page with purpose. Look at verse 21. Right after Jesus speaks of peace, he says, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then to show what we are being sent with, what is the message? Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any. It is withheld. He gives us purpose. It's amazing that to a group of people that are fearful and hunkered down in a room, Jesus says, don't stay here. Go. Just as they and us, as we have been called out of the world, we are called out of the world that we may go back into the world, not to be like those who are in rebellion against God, but to go back into the world with the message that will save the world. We are called out to go back in with the message of the gospel. That's what verse 23 is about. Just as Jesus came from the Father to proclaim the redemption of sins, we are sent with the message of forgiveness of sins. Now, verse 23 does not teach that the disciples have the ability to forgive sins. And the reason I say that is the Gospels are very clear that God and God alone forgives sins. It is not in my prerogative, my power, or any one other believer's power to look at somebody and to proclaim by acclamation, your sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. But we do know this. Forgiveness comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. When we recognize what is wrong in our lives, what is wrong with the world around us, and what is wrong is referred to as sin. Sin is rebellion against God. It is missing His will. It is living for self rather than God's glory. And when we recognize that we are not living as God intended. And we wonder, how can we make things right? The gospel is this. You and I can't make things right. Only Jesus can. And he has done that through his death where he paid the penalty for our sins. And in his resurrection where he gives us the promise that we are forgiven and have new life. That's why the gospel is good news. So if the gospel is proclaimed, the message that I just gave a brief summary of, when the gospel is proclaimed, forgiveness is possible. But if the gospel is not proclaimed, if the lips of believers are silent, then the chance of forgiveness is withheld. 
So in other words, if we offer the chance for people to respond to the gospel, we are offering them the opportunity of forgiveness. But if we are silent about the good news of Jesus, we are withholding forgiveness for them. And we are tasked with that purpose. That is the sheet of music that is to be in front of us. That is our our mission that we are given. That's why we unashamedly promote evangelism. That is why we unashamedly emphasize the Annie Armstrong Easter offering as one of the mission offerings that we support through the year. You recognize that the population of North America, and that is U.S., Canada, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, so forth, is 366 million people. It's estimated, according to sociological researchers, that there are 275 million that do not know Jesus. And even here in America where we are saturated with churches. The tragic truth is. The gospel's not going out as it should be. North America has 350 different languages. And each of those languages represent a people group here in North America. That need to hear the gospel. We continue the work of Jesus as we go out. That's our purpose. It's fun, and I can remember watching T-ball when um, our oldest was playing. It never fails when T-ball season rolls around and kids are first learning the game that whomever is put in the outfield, I would almost guarantee you 100% of the time, At the beginning of the season, they will find the grass and the daisies around them much more interesting than what's going on up there in the infield. All right, So that that t-baller will be there just looking around, piddling with the grass. And imagine that moment when they're playing in the grass and a ball comes toward them. And, of course, the parents are, get the ball, get the ball. But we're laughing. okay? Because we know this is is a 5-year-old, a 6-year-old. They're not, they're learning yet. They don't know. Now, take that same scenario. What do you think would happen at a major league baseball game if that outfielder is out there and instead of paying attention, he's looking at the grass. He is making designs in the grass with his foot and a ball comes toward him. Do you think people would laugh? No. People would start yelling, what are you doing, you bum? That's not what you're paid for. That's not what you're about. You're supposed to be there. We are no longer playing t-ball. Church, we are given a mission. And we should not be playing around or distracted. And I fear there is so much going on around us that we are distracted from our primary purpose of sharing the gospel. We are plan A, B, C, and D. There's no backup plan. He has entrusted us with this mission. And I know that can seem overwhelming. And I hope that this is bringing conviction, not not guilt, but conviction to say, you know what? I want to share the gospel. I want to be faithful in sharing the gospel, but I don't know how. I don't know if I can. And those are questions that are very real that I have asked in my own life. That's why the glorious good news is this. When Jesus arrives, he supplies the power to share the gospel. Verse 22 is a very difficult verse to interpret. After Jesus breathed on them, which I I take as meaning he is saying, I'm giving you new life, recreation. He then says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some believe and interpret this as saying, what is happening here at the end of the Gospel of John is that there's no plan to do a sequel. In other words, when Luke wrote his Gospel, he continued it with Acts. And where does Acts begin? With the Ascension and Pentecost. Well, the idea is, by many, that John doesn't plan, or the Gospel of John is not intended to have a sequel. So the author then takes Pentecost and kind of condenses it into this brief experience here in the upper room. But I think there are three problems with that interpretation. First, the description of the disciples after this does not fit what happened at Pentecost. When you read in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, what did they start doing? Unashamedly preaching the gospel with boldness. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. 
If John is consolidating Pentecost here, it certainly doesn't sound like it because where are they eight days later? Not boldly proclaiming the gospel. They're behind locked doors again. Which leads me to a second reason that I, I don't think that's what John is doing here. Notice that Thomas is left out. If verse 22 is describing Pentecost, then Thomas got the short end of the stick. Because Thomas wasn't with them. We see that once again in verse 26. Thomas was with them. He apparently wasn't there the first time. And the third reason I don't hold to that interpretation is this. The original readers of this gospel, which is believed to have been a church at Ephesus, they would have known about Pentecost. So why not just do an addendum at the end to talk about the Spirit came? Why not describe it more fully? In other words, it would have been disingenuous to go back and try to consolidate it here. So I don't see this as Pentecost, but what I do see it is, is this. This is a statement of Jesus emphasizing that the coming of the Spirit is imminent. And they need to receive the Spirit. Now the reason I interpret it that way is because this isn't the first time Jesus has spoken of an event that is in the very near future as if it is happening at that moment. Examples, John chapter 12, verse 23. Some Greeks showed up to talk with Jesus. What does Jesus say? Now the hour has come. That hour is the hour of his death. Now he says, now the hour has come. But his crucifixion was still at least two weeks away or a week away. But he is saying now it's happening immediately. It's beginning. Another example is in John 12, 31 where Jesus says now is the judgment of the world. Once again, he's referring to the cross. But the cross didn't happen exactly at that moment. But Jesus was stating emphatically that it is going to. And it's going to happen in the very near future. I think that is the same principle here. Receive the Holy Spirit. Because it is coming. In fact, just a few days after this is when they would receive the Holy Spirit. Now notice the important point though. Even though we may differ on interpreting verse 22. You cannot miss the connection between receiving the Holy Spirit. And being sent in verse 21 and the message in verse 23. The coming spirit is the power for proclamation. Luke 24 verse 49. Jesus said to the disciples, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power. One of the signs of being filled with the spirit is the power to share the gospel. And you may be thinking, I don't, I don't know if I have that power. I believe within my heart of hearts that when a believer steps out to share the gospel, you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit. That power is there waiting to be used by every believer to step forth boldly. We have that power. We don't have to be frustrated wondering, can we do this? We can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And The good thing is that that power is limitless. At our house, one of the precautions that we have taken since Emma relies on some medical equipment, especially at night, is we have a backup generator at our house. So if the power goes out, that generator will kick on to power the equipment in her room. And that's, that's oh, that's such a comfort. Uh, there have been times where the power's gone out and it's like that generator kicks in and we say, thank you, Lord. But the truth is that generator, that power has limits. It's connected to a propane tank outside of our house. So if that generator's working, there may be that chance that if that propane tank runs out, the power is gone. We don't have to worry about that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is limitless, always supplying the power to every believer who steps out in faith saying, I will share the gospel. And power means ability and effectiveness to accomplish what God desires. So the question is not, will God supply what we need? The question is this, are we relying on the power God supplies. Can you imagine the foolishness of a man that is given a chainsaw, brand new chainsaw, Husqvarna chainsaw, and he goes out to cut a, down a tree, but instead of cranking it up and letting it valve, he takes the chainsaw and he starts going like this. It's, that's crazy. Turn, crank that baby up. Experience the power that is there. That's why it's there. But how many times are we like that man sawing with our chainsaw? Because we think, okay, I have to do this. The power, it, it, it's all up on me. No. God supplies the Spirit. 
that we will have the power we need to accomplish the mission we have been given. And that mission is to proclaim the gospel, new creation in Jesus. When Jesus appears, he brings new creation. He brings harmony. He has given us a purpose, church. He has given us the power. Let's live in that power and peace. Bow with me and let's pray now. Father, I thank you once again that you have not left us as orphans, but you have supplied everything that we need. You have given us new life. Let us think accordingly. You have given us harmony. Let us live accordingly. Father, you have given us purpose. Let us act accordingly. And Lord, you have given us power. Let us trust accordingly. That in all things you may be glorified through Christ our Lord. Amen. Church, let's close our worship out this morning with the hymn, Revive Us Again. As we respond to what we've heard this morning and ask for that power that is available to us and the power of the Holy Spirit to do that which he's called us to do. Let's sing together. Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above, we praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light, who hath shown us our Savior and scattered our Fill each 